Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right. Good morning, church. How are we? Good. Not awake yet? There's coffee in the back. That's going to be back after being on the East Coast last weekend. Our sending church sends their greetings. If you're wondering what is a sending church, simply means it's a church that says we want to support you guys. We're behind you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. We want to help support you financially in the early years of a church start like us and help you get started. And so I had some excellent meetings and I had the opportunity to, to preach there last weekend. And I heard really good things about everything that happened here last weekend and uh, the word that Jonathan delivered to you all. Um, also, in addition to what Julia said, I do want to recognize all the mothers, uh, both online. I know my own mom's online, so happy Mother's Day. I will be calling you after the service. And for all the moms in the room, but also want to recognize this can be a challenging day. Uh, I know that there are women who have not been able to have children who would like to have children. Or maybe you don't have the best relationship with your mom, or perhaps you've lost your mom. And so we kind of want to recognize that as well. It's not necessarily always a happy day for everyone. Uh, but we do want to honor all women. And so, women, we honor you today and uh, hopefully every day and, and every week at Sojourn Church. Amen? Yeah. Right? I want all the men to be louder than the women on that one. <laughs> um, this morning, we are going to jump back into our series, Sojourners, where we've been studying through the book of 1 Peter for the last several months. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we'll be in verses 9 and 10 this morning. How many of you enjoy a good hike? I know a number of us do, not necessarily all of us, but a number of us do. Uh, we're lucky some of us are in the room this morning and not on a hike. We can thank the rain for that. That was meant to be a joke. Uh, but we're fortunate to live in the Pacific Northwest where we have hiking like galore, like everywhere. We've got stuff close by the city, stuff within 30 minutes to an hour. And there's so many hikes. I'm, I'm pretty sure you can spend a lifetime and not do every hike that we have here. Uh, comedian Jim Gaffigan, he made a joke about Portland a couple of years ago, and he said everyone's always wearing some kind of boots because they're ready for any spur of the moment that they can jump on a hike, whether that's Forest Park or the Gorge or up at Mount Hood. And he's not that far off. We are always ready, or many of us are always ready to go on a hike. I'd say at this stage in my life, hiking is one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, it's, it's something I enjoy going to do. Uh, I enjoy getting out in the gorge. Those are some of my favorite hikes where you have the switchbacks and you're slowly climbing higher and higher. And typically there's a creek or some kind of water uh, on one side of you. And then you get back to what it was, what you're waiting on. This majestic waterfall is just pouring over with gallons and gallons of water. Makes it all worth it. But if you spent much time hiking in Oregon, you know that it's possible to miss the forest from the trees. In other words, we can sometimes fail to understand kind of the big picture of the hike that we're on because we're only focusing on one aspect. Maybe we fail to appreciate the bigger picture of what it is that we are after. And this is similar to where Peter has had us the last several weeks. He's been, he's been reminding us of things about our lives. He's been reminding the sojourners, his first audience, who they are in Christ. But it's possible that you miss the bigger picture of what he's actually after here. And so as a way of reminder, here's how Peter started out addressing his audience. Call them strangers, or maybe aliens, or exiles, or sojourners. And then he starts to give us details that kind of go underneath that role. So he says, this is where you found yourself in life, and, and then there's some aspects of that as one in Christ that describes you. 
And so the last several messages, he says, you are united together with Christ as living stones. So we talk about how Christ himself is the cornerstone, but Christ also says that we are living stones, that we make up the new temple of God, the church. He says that we are chosen. Like, isn't that a precious thing? Someone says, you are chosen. I choose you. You are precious. And you are a royal priesthood. And so as he transitioned from chapter 1 into chapter 2, he reminded us about our salvation and how it is that we relate to one another, how how the church relates to one another. And then next week, he's going to start and actually take a shift to how it is that we relate to the world. But before he does that, Peter, one more time, he comes back and he's really repetitive. He continues to repeat himself because like any teacher, any good teacher, he knows we probably didn't get it the first time and we probably didn't get it the first several times. So he's going to continue to repeat himself so that he's really emphasizing this point in our role. And so two weeks ago, in verses 4 through 8 of 1 Peter 2, he described the church as a new temple of God that's built on the foundation of Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. He says that we, the church, are the new temple of God. Jesus is the foundation. But I want you to think about your experience in church. Does that, has it always been that? Like, think about, we are the temple of God. We are the living stones that make up the new temple of God. I think for many in us, myself included, we probably would say that hasn't always been my experience. In fact, a lot of times it's maybe been more described as consumerism. Now, allow me to explain a little bit. I was actually having a conversation with a lady on Friday. Let's get my car serviced. And this lady, uh, she knows what I do. And so when I walked in, we had a small chit-chat. And she asked me how the church is doing. And she just started opening up. She said, I really want to come. Right? And, I, and I get this frequently from people. Sometimes it's just a nice gesture. She said, I really want to come. Um, I used to go to, and she named you know, such and such church. And she said, but it was you know, this and this. And kind of described some things. And what she described to me was the way that she felt, the impression she had, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know, was that she would just show up and almost like, let the professionals handle it kind of mentality. Like, I'll just show up and then I leave. I just show up and then I leave. She's like, I don't want that. I'm going to be part of a church community. Like, I want to be present. I want to be involved. I want to be needed. I want to have a, a part to play in this. And so the difference I feel like she was describing is between going to church and being the church. And I think Peter's going to help explain that to us this morning, that we are not part of a church so that we primarily ask, what's in it for me? That would be the consumeristic side of things. And we, and we do that about most areas of life, right? If I'm going to give you my time, what's in it for me? <laughs> is the brunch going to be worth it? Is the meeting going to be worth it? Do I actually need to be there? And so he's going to say, don't ask so much what's in it for me, but we should primarily be asking when we're, when we're living stones, as Peter describes it here, what and how can I contribute to this community? What do I offer to this community? What will this community miss out on as a result of me not being involved. So it's less about a checklist of I'm showing up on a Sunday and not showing up on this. It's what am I giving and what am I losing out by me not being there as God has connected me to this community. And so today Peter will identify the church as nothing less than the new Israel, restored and renewed on the basis of the new covenant and called to be a community that displays the glory of God and his kingdom to the world. In other words, here's what Peter's going to do. He's going to help us see that the church is not incidental. The church was not a backup plan when God says, oh, no, this plan did not work. This plan did not go the right way. But the church is central to God's plan. 
It's central to his plan for his mission to this world and how he wants to accomplish the mission he has called us to. And so the main point of our message this morning is that we as a church are called to display the light of God to one another, so look around the room, to one another by serving his plans and priorities and then for his glory. In short, what I want to see this morning is the blessing of one another. And so if you didn't come in with that mentality, I want you to look around this morning and think, man, these people are a blessing. The people in this room are a blessing to me and I want to be a blessing to them. And so let me read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so Peter, once again, right before he's going to take a hard shift next week, he's just going to remind us one more time, in case we missed it, who we are as the people of God. And so point number one is we have a new identity in Christ. Peter's message to his readers and to us is this, that even though you feel irrelevant to the world around you, because once again, if you feel like a stranger, if you feel like an exile, if you feel like a sojourner, you're going to feel irrelevant. You're going to feel like a, a misfit and where you find yourself in life. And so he's kind of saying, regardless where you are in life, regardless that you feel that way, you are members of a new chosen race. You are royal servants of the supreme king. You are citizens of the divine kingdom and residents of a heavenly city. And so you may feel that way because the world looks at you that way, but God looks at you this way. God looks at you and says, you're a chosen race. God looks at you and says, you're a royal priesthood. God looks at you and says, you're a holy nation. So it really comes down to this, and I know it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy to, to am I going to live God's word over man's word? Yes, I feel this way, and feelings are real. But God's looking at saying, but it's this. And so let's break those down briefly. First, he says, we're a chosen race. By declaring you are a chosen race, Peter is connecting Christians in Asia Minor with God's promise to restore and renew Israel through a second exodus. Isaiah 43, verses, uh, verse 20, 21. It says, For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Later in Acts 7, 37, it says, This is the Moses who said that Israelites... To the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And so what he's doing there is he's showing that Jesus is, was a new and better Moses who led a second exodus out of the bondage of sin and death through his own life, his death, and his resurrection. In other words, God has chosen a new race of people, Christians. And how do you obtain that? You obtain membership in this chosen race by what Christ's work, by what Christ has done. And so we don't gain this the way that we did at one point. If you know the New Testament very well, it's not because we're a physical descendant from Abraham. It's not because we're in the actual, born into the correct line to be chosen by God. It's because of God himself. He made a way that we could become his chosen people, his chosen race. And as a result, we could get to enjoy Jesus 
And we get to enjoy all the pleasures of what it means to be part of his family. Second, he says we're a royal priesthood. So Peter's declaring that this new covenant people of God are now what Israel was meant to be. So think about Israel in, its, in the most positive form you can think of Israel. They had their own issues. Did they not? Yeah. This is all that God had hoped they would be. And that God promises this status to all who keep his covenant. And so we as a church exist to be a priesthood. We talked a little bit about this Wednesday night, if you've never thought about that, that you are a priest and I am a priest. And that we all have a role to play. Exodus 19.6. So then you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so the promises God made to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament are now fully realized through the church, through his church. And so just as God called Israel to be a mediator in the Old Testament, he is now calling his church to be the mediator of God's blessing to the world. In other words, God called us, but he's also using us as a conduit of his blessing to the world around us. I mean, even that alone is just amazing. (laughs) Because we know that we are human. We know that we mess up continually. We fail. We don't attain to what we think we should attain to. The expectations we put on ourselves, the expectations others put on us. But God says, I'm going to use you because you are my bride and you are my beloved. And he uses us as a conduit of blessing to the world around us. And it's just as God's priest would announce the good news, salvation in the Old Testament, he now uses us to offer salvation, to proclaim his goodness to those around us. And that all of those who repent and come and believe get to join this family as well. God's saying, come to me as you are. I'm making a way for others to join. As a church, we must not be silent. The way that God designed it is the church is the plan A. There is no plan B. That we have been given a role, that we are called out, we are chosen, we're royal priesthood. And you might be like me sometimes and go, but why would God do that? I don't know, but he chose to do that. And so we, we must be obedient to that, to proclaim his excellence to the world around us. And so he has chosen an imperfect group of people to proclaim his goodness, his grace, his glory on the earth. What a calling and privilege and responsibility it is that he would include us in that plan. Third, he says we're a holy nation. So just as believers have a new spiritual race, just as they are a new spiritual priesthood, they also are a new spiritual nation. This is not a nation based on ethnic identity or geographical boundaries, but on allegiance to King Jesus. And this is a beautiful thing. I think I I saw this last night. We attended a, a wedding, an African wedding. And something that the groom's father said, and I don't know exactly what it was, but to the extent of we've got their family from Africa, and then we've got the, the bride's family, even though she grew up overseas, but she's an American American family, and how the unites them is Jesus. You know, and I think about even, even at Sojourn, as we've seen a variety of different ethnicities come through, we're like, this is a beautiful thing. There's not a certain group that has a, 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 a leg up on anyone else but that we are a holy nation, that we all come to Christ on the same level, in the same way, and that we get to proclaim that he is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords of all people, all nations, and all places everywhere. And that the primary focus of a holy nation is this, to be distinct. A holy nation to be distinct from the world. And so like Israel, the church is to be different from the world around us for the sake of the world. God has called us to be distinct and different. You've heard this phrase, I'm sure, in the world, but not of the world. And we're not going to unpack that fully today, but what does that mean? 
Obviously, we're, we're in the world. We, we live in the United States. We live in Oregon. We live in Portland. But that we should be a distinct community. There should be something that distinguishes us from just a social club. There should be something that distinguishes us just from a sports league. There should be something that distinguishes us from some kind of club or group or community to be part of. That God has called us to be in the world, but to be distinct and unique from the world in a way that we love one another. The way that we love God. The way that we love those around us. And so we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We ought to be different. And when we meet together, like we're doing right now, this goes back to the being the church versus going to church. It's, it's not just, hopefully it's not for you, but it's not just about, oh, I'm going to check that off so I feel better. I want to, to attend a gathering this morning. That we actually are an embassy for the kingdom of God in which we are part. And that something unique and special happens that, that the presence of God is with us. And sometimes you'll hear that in a prayer, like, God, may your presence be with us, and we'll sing that sometimes. And I'm like, in a sense, like, we say that as almost like an echo, because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us once we're in Christ. And so the fact that we're all here, like, the presence of God is here. He is with us. So it's something unique that happens as God's people gather together. And then something else unique happens as we scatter out into our spheres of life and influence that God has given us. Deuteronomy 7, 6. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so while we may be exiles and sojourners in this life, God still loves us. God looks at us uniquely. God looks at us as his chosen children, as his royal priesthood, and as a holy nation. And so that should be a good, fresh reminder for us on those hard days on those days that you're not sure you can continue on, the days you think everyone else has forgotten me. And it might be true. There might be days that everyone else in your life has forgotten you that God has not. Because God still looks at you in the same way. And so Peter reminds us that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. But God's purpose in redeeming us is not simply for our own enjoyment. It's not simply so that we can huddle together and gather together and just go how wonderful this is and just proclaim his excellencies to him. It's not simply for just that. But he says that we are all of those things with a purpose and a mission. So what's our purpose? Second point this morning is we are called to proclaim the excellencies of God. And so our purpose and mission, he tells us in the last part of verse 9, is proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so our search for ultimate meaning is right here in this verse. We are called to proclaim, to declare the excellencies, the superiority of God and his manifested light in the darkness, in the dark world. The last, last song that we sang before I got up here is shine your light. That's what we're called to do. We're called to go and shine the light. We've all been... Walking in darkness. I mean, we just came out of the winter months. I noticed today the days are finally really long. I love waking up and it's light out, even if it's cloudy and rainy. But we walked through all those dark months, you know. And so if you get a headlamp or a flashlight, sometimes you just, you know, you shine that light and it just illuminates the path in front of you. That's what we're called to do in our life. That's what we're called to do in the world where God has called us. Tom Schreiner, he says, The purpose of the people of God is now explained. God has chosen them to be his people established them as a royal priesthood, appointed them as a holy nation to be his special possession so that they would declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful 
life. And so we are called to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. That's what we're called to do. So if you're in Christ, it gives you an infinite purpose. Like, what is, what is my purpose? If you're not sure what else it is, like, here it is right here. To proclaim the excellencies of God. That's the idea of redemption. It's not man-centered, it's God-centered. And, and, and we're called to do this right here. Where you live, work, and play is how we often phrase it here. You know, sometimes you have this conversation, you go, I'm not called to be a pastor, or I'm not called to be a worship leader, I'm not... That's not what it's saying. It's saying wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you play, the relationships that you have, you have an opportunity every single day when you wake up to go and proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And everything is designed to bring him praise and glory. And so, yes, this includes things like worship of song that we did this morning. Yes, this includes evangelism. Yes, this includes spreading the good news of God to all people. In all places, everywhere. And so we have a new identity in Christ. We have a new purpose in Christ. Which leads us to our third point. God's promises to his people have been fulfilled through the church. Without change, I would say through his church. Look again at verse 10. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter, again, he's looking, he's looking back to the Old Testament. All throughout this start of chapter 2, he's constantly referencing the Old Testament. This time he's looking at the book of Hosea. And all the promises that God had made to the nation of Israel have been experienced and fulfilled through the church. Hosea 2.23 says, And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. So the church is a new race made up of many ethnicities chosen by God on the basis of his love. I mean, even just back in verse 10, I almost paused as I was reading it just even just now. Because once you were not a people, once, once you were unknown, once you had no hope, once you had no identity, but now you are God's people. That, I mean, God literally changes it. He flips it upside down and says, but now you are a people. Now you have a purpose. Now you have an identity, and it comes from me. This is why we value being a church made up of multiple um, ethnicities and eclectic diverse group. We value that. You might say, are you saying that we're weird? Maybe. <laughs> Keep Portland weird, keep Sojourn weird. <laughs> that we should be made up of different types of people. That we should have different socioeconomic statuses. That we should have different age ranges. That we should have different ethnic makeup and background. Because that's how God designed it to be. We're not like an exclusive club where you go in and you all have to attain to a certain socioeconomic level and you all have to have a, a certain look about you or you all have to be the same race. But God has said all people in all places everywhere. So we should be a, an eclectic, diverse group of people. This is why everything we do from our setup in the morning to our order of service to our teardown, we want to cultivate a welcoming environment. So do we do this perfectly? No, but we want all people when they come in to feel like, man, they can find a community here, that they can find a family here, that they feel, can feel, find welcome here, and that from all walks of life, 
We wouldn't want anyone from the highest to the lowest to walk in and feel, man, these people don't want me. Because God has made a way for all people and has, has made a way that all people can come to him. Juan Sanchez says, The glory of God is greatly displayed through the church when the diversity of peoples brought together through the gospel demonstrates the unity of the gospel. That's the one thing, that's the key thing, is Jesus the cornerstone, his gospel message that should bring an eclectic, diverse group of people together. People that, that from different walks of life that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have had anything in common with. But that when you have this one piece, this eternal piece that matters, that it changes everything. This is why you can travel to other nations, for those of you who've had the privilege to do that. And it's like, you can almost let your guard down, and there's a little level of trust right away. Whether you're in India, or Nepal, or China, or Brazil, or Argentina, when you learn, we both follow the same King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Jesus. And that we are brothers and sisters, and we may not understand a single word that the other one's saying, but we can understand the love of Christ between us, and that we can worship God together. Like Israel when rejected by God, all of us at one point in time had no hope but God. He extended his mercy to us. He extended his grace, and he made a way that now we could be God's people, that now we could receive God's mercy. And then as a result, God gives us a part to play. He, Peter uses this, this word, uh, proclaim as a way to describe taking the gospel to all people in all places from where we are here in Portland to the ends of the earth. If you were in our gospel community on Wednesday night, we talked about this just a little bit. This idea of royal priesthood and the priesthood of believers. Simply the idea that every single Christ follower has a part to play. That's why the, the, the Bible describes it as the body, the body of believers. Right? Somebody might be an arm, Somebody might be a leg, somebody might be a, a toe or a foot, somebody might be a head. We all have a role to play in the makeup of what God is doing in a place, but then we're ex to extend that to the ends of the earth. There's no longer a high priest that we have to go to aside from Jesus himself. Remember that veil that has been torn. And it gives us a role that we can minister to one another, but then collectively can minister to the world around us. And so this morning, if you came in not realizing you're a priest, you're all a priest. You'll get your collar at the door. <laughs> I want you to think about a hospital for a minute. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like going to hospitals. Because usually you go to a hospital, it means somebody's sick. Or there's something bad. I mean, I know there's good things that happen, you know, the births of children and things. But, you know, I just don't like going to hospitals. It's just, it gives me kind of a, a yucky feeling. But we've all been to a hospital for some reason or another. Anything about a hospital... They all have, there's a, it's made of a bunch of people with different skill sets, with different degrees, with different backgrounds, but they all have a common purpose. So you have different types of doctors, right? So, so if you need to get something looked at at your heart, you don't want to go to the foot doctor. Now, he might be better than going to no doctor, but you want to go to the heart doctor if you've got a heart issue. So you've got all kinds of different doctors. You've got all kinds of different nurses. You've got different specialists. You have hospital administrators. You've got the people who check you in and want you to do the finances that you never even see. Like, there's all these different roles, hundreds if not thousands of roles, and they're all going after a common purpose and goal and mission. They all have these different roles. But if they function together in unity, then it's a hospital that's, one, it's healthy as an organization, but it's also a hospital that succeeds. That's why you'll see hospitals in a given city and they'll have multiple locations. They'll have small clinics and bigger ones and 
They'll have the ward for pregnancies and all these different areas because they're being successful. They're all working in unison. They're all working together. This is how the church should function. The church should function, both local and global, as a collective group of people who have different roles, who have different makeup, who have a different skill set, but we're all going after a common purpose and goal to spur one another on in Christ-likeness. That's what we are to do. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant, and the high priest could only go in into that special place, the Holy of Holies, to intercede on behalf of the people. But at the cross, the veil was torn because what Christ did, and then he, he, and as a result, he made salvation away, but then he went further than that. He gave us all our priestly orders, if you would. He gave us that role to play. And so what does it mean if you and I are priests? How do we, uh, how do we functionally, um, sorry, how do we practically function in that role as a priest? Somebody might hear that and you think, do I have to preach next week? Well, maybe. Let's chat. <laughs> do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? It means a few things. One is we have the ability to intercede on behalf of one another. I don't know about you, but my prayers are often self-focused. God, allow me to have a good day. God, allow my family to thrive. God, allow my house to be saved. God, allow me to get here safely. God, provide for this, this, and this. But that, this also means that we get to go, God, I pray for Ben and Julia and their engagement. God, I, I, I pray for Eddie and Courtney as they're looking at houses. God, I pray for this person and this person. We have to pray for one another. We have to intercede for one another. This means we have the benefit to minister to one another through God's word. It's reality someone's gonna have a really hard day tomorrow or this week. And yes, we can give just uplifting words, and we can also encourage them with God's word. Don't believe the lie that enemy. Here's what God says about you. Let me encourage you. Let me exhort you. Let me remind you of who you are in Christ so that we get to minister to one another. We gather on Sunday morning as priests to worship, and we have confidence that God's presence is in our midst. Think about that. It's not just us here this morning. It's not just a bunch of Portlanders in the room. It's God is in our midst. There's something holy that's happening in this time together. We have fellowship as believers and enjoy the benefits of mutual care for one another. Yes, that can mean potlucks, especially in the area of the country where I'm from. And I love eating. But it can mean a lot more than that as well. As we get to fellowship and care and minister for one another. There's, I can't remember how many one another's there are in scripture, but I absolutely love them. And I've said this numerous times throughout the last several years. But if we lived out the one another's in scripture, I don't know any single person who would not be interested in joining a group like that. As you forgive one another, as you love one another. As you outdo, and they're like, all these one another's. And so are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. But that is a, a goal that we can attain to as we live out this community of faith, as we live out being priests, proclaiming the excellencies of God. And so Peter wants us to see that when God established the church, he also gave us the blessing of one another, and that we make up a royal priesthood. And the degree to which we live this out will tell us how we are growing in Christ-likeness. Do you find it going, man, I, I want to I focus on others more than I want to focus on myself. I want to minister to others than I want to for myself. I want to do these things and outdo one another. And so these aren't a, here, let's judge yourself this morning and grade yourself, but these are more of a, an encouragement and exhortation on you self-reflection. How much of your time praying is spent praying for one another? Maybe start this week. Pick one name. Say, I'm going to pray for that individual. You don't have to let them know, but I guarantee if you tell them, it will highly encourage them. I don't know many people who don't like being prayed for. 
How much of your time is spent encouraging one another? It's easy to get around and complain about life and the hardships of life, or even complain about one another sometimes. How about encouraging one another? How much of your time is spent ministering and caring for one another? Just really getting together with someone and putting your arm around them, and not, not because you feel like you're supposed to, but actually like, how are you doing? Can I, can I love you and serve you in any way? You can tell when someone's being genuine or not. But that we're called to do these things with one another. Hebrews 10, 21 through 25. Love this, this set of verses. It says, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hear this, church. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so, sojourn, that's our prayer this morning. That we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he, Christ, who promised, is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Let me pray for us to that end and then we'll respond. God, we thank you first and foremost for you. God, you are holy and mighty. And God, you saw fit to save us. And so God, we thank you for salvation that you made available to us. And then, God, we thank you for the blessing of one another. That for whatever reason, you saw fit to use imperfect vessels to be conduits of your blessing to the world. And so, God, we ask that we wouldn't take that lightly, that we would see that as the honor and privilege that it is. And, God, that we would accept that responsibility, knowing that we're going to do it in a way that we fail. But, God, as, as we do that, that we would live out those one another's. God, that we would get back up, not because we can pick ourselves back up, but because you can restore us and pick us back up. And, God, that we can show your love your grace and mercy to the world around us. God, we want to give this time of response to you now in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.